0: Good morning, Village. Good to be here. Good morning to those in the gym watching and, um, to those at home watching. We look forward to every week getting more and more together and being church family. There's something powerful about assembling together and I'm excited about Easter next week. And I know, um, the tears are relaxing in Orange County a little bit on Tuesday and so come to the Easter breakfast. Come and worship together. Um, as we celebrate our risen Savior. And it's a day that um, is unlike any other day. Today we want to continue with Titus, though. And I've asked some similar questions about work before, or maybe in our men's studies. But if you were an employer, what would make a good employee? If they're on time, if they don't call in sick all the time? Staying on task. Staying on task. Keep their, <laughs> keep their cell phone in their pocket. Ouch. Okay. Yeah. Don't have solitaire up on the computer. So <laughs> follow, company follow company policies. Yeah. You set out some policies. You expect them to follow them. Positive so attitude. what was that? Positive attitude. Positive attitude. You don't want an employee that's complaining and griping all the time. Take take, (laughs) taking initiative. Say that five times fast. Um, Yeah. So these are things that we know make a good employee. What makes a bad employee? The opposite of all those lazy. Lack of integrity. I think I heard. taking bio breaks for a very long time (laughs) yeah so things that keep us from working this morning we're gonna um we're gonna study titus chapter 2 verses 9 and 10 and and god's word is gonna meddle a little bit with our work life and he's gonna talk about work life and if you remember last week titus begin the section of chapter 2 and he says this is what good doctrine looks like and instead of going through a systematic theology He started to talk through how we live life and saying that if we have good doctrine, if we have a good perspective of who God is, it will affect how we live. And last week he went through four different age groups. He talked to older men and older women to be an example and to be training the younger. He talked to younger women and younger men and younger women. He talked a lot about home life and he talked a lot about some of the responsibilities there. To younger men, he just said, "Grow up, learn some self-control," and, and that covers so much of a young man's life. And I know that. I know that last week, as we went through those four things, there's a lot of gaps in there of people in the church and of, of, of positions in the church. Um, he never deals with what about a new believer that's older. Uh, what do you do with that? And then that has to do with, okay, you have a mature believer that comes alongside and disciples them. I know for our, our single women here, there was a lot about marriage and family. You're like, well, okay, what about me? And, and that's, I think, primarily because that's where the issues were in Crete. They weren't having a lot of issues with single women. They were having issues with some of the, the moms and wives. And so he didn't even deal with that. But that doesn't mean you're left out because, again, the older teach the younger. And for our singles that are here, that is a time that God has given you as a gift to serve Him fully and in a devoted fashion. And those that are older, it's a chance to come alongside and to mentor and teach them. And this week is sort of the same thing, which is why I preface it with all of that. This week, it's about work. I know not everyone here or listening has a job. Some of you have a full-time, double full-time job at home. Some of you are retired. But the principles as we study God's Word, we study each verse and we can learn principles that apply beyond the situations that are here. In this case, he's going to talk about principles that we're going to apply to the workplace and how we can be a good testimony at work. And so our main point of the morning of these two verses is we are to honor God by being an exemplary employee at work so that they will see Christ in you. We're to honor God by being excellent and exemplary employees so everyone watching will see God through us. And this takes the whole discussion of what makes a good employee, what makes a bad employee, this takes this this to a different level of importance. Because God has you where he has you to be a testimony for him. I don't care what job you have. Every secular job is a missions field. Every place of work, that is a place where people see you at least 40 hours a week. And they get to see your good side. They get to see your bad side. They get to see how you deal with adversity. They get to see how you deal with frustration. Do you think that might be a great place to shine as lights for Christ? That might be an an opportunity like no other. And so we come to Titus chapter two verses nine and 10. If you turn there with me, again, we've just followed the different age groups. I want to read those two verses together and then we'll break them, break them down and really look at some of the principles there. We'll have a little bit of fun with that. As, as you're turning there though, this is one of those things that I think the things in the verses are as obvious as they can get. We would all say, yeah, that makes a good employee. But so we have to start asking ourselves the question, why does the Bible keep repeating these things? I have four different passages that say almost identically the same thing. So why does God keep repeating how we are at work, how we serve, how we're bond servants, how we treat masters or employers? And I think it's because it's one of those areas where we can know the truth, but it's really hard to apply the truth consistently because we get frustrated. Frustrated. I can remember, and I've told stories before, but this one in particular. Um, I can remember wh- before I was a pastor. I was working in the business field, and I was a, a consultant at a company, and um, at many companies. But I went into this one company, who ironically sold Christian gifts in book- Christian bookstores. And I remember the the owners called me into their office and said, "Can we talk for a minute?" And they all knew that we were a Christian company, and that was the foundation of, of how we how we worked. And the owners called me in and shut the door. And I'm like, oh that's never a good sign. It's like your boss calling you in and saying, shut the door. Um, and they called me in and said, you know, I have a question. Why are Christian employees so bad? And I'm like, uh, I'm not consulting on this. I, <laughs> let, let me work on your computers and let me you know, do that kind of stuff. And, and they said, you know, th- those are the worst employees we have. And we talked that through a little bit, and and um, I, I go out of their office, open the doors, and I'm working on computer. It's a small office, and so oftentimes I'm kneeling down next to somebody's computer, and they're sitting there, and whatever reason they always felt like that was a time that they can unload their burdens on this person next to them that they hardly know. And um, one by one, the employees said, "Why are Christian bosses so bad?" And I went out of there as depressed as I could be. <laughs> I'm like, well, okay. And this is a Christian company and they were selling the little fish that were on the back of your car. And, um, but it reminded me that work sometimes has a way of exposing what's deep inside. Work has a way of exposing. Um, the, the things we struggle with because of the length of time, because of the pressure of work, and I think because of our, our, we separate the secular from the sacred, the secular from the spiritual. And so sometimes it can be easy to go to work and say, this is secular. I don't have to be on guard here. I don't have to live for God here because this is work. I'm going to go home. I'm going to get myself ready to be a great dad and a discipler when I get home, but this is work. And we'll find out in Scripture and in good doctrine, there is no separation of the sacred from the secular. It is all sacred. It is all to be used to glorify God. And so in Titus 2, 9 and 10, it's two short verses this morning. Um, doesn't mean we're going to go short, but um, <laughs> you're thinking it. I know you are. Um, verse 9, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We have two short verses with five commands. A summary command and then two pairs of two. But I want to start by talking about bond servants a little bit, because this is not a direct correlation to employer-employee, but employer-employee is the closest thing we have in our culture, and so we make the, the comparisons and we learn the lessons in that setting. Um, bond servants, some of your translations might translate that slaves. The word in Greek is doulos, which means servant or slave, it can, it can mean both, but a lot of the the translations have shied away from using slaves in an English translation because of the connotation with slavery in our past, right? With chattel slavery where you buy and sell human beings and the atrocities and the horrid things that happened with that. But we have to understand in biblical times, the idea of bondservant was a different idea from that. So we have to separate everything we know about slavery and that we hate about slavery and they had a different approach to it. I am not saying this morning that their approach was always good. Okay, so that that is not what I'm saying. In fact, their approach to to bond servants and slavery was much broader than ours. And so it it had a, a whole good half of ways that I'm like, okay, I can see practicing that. And it had a half that was very bad still. And so Paul here to Titus isn't addressing the morality of their version of slavery. But he's saying, if you are in that situation, this is how you still bring glory to God. Does that make sense? So a bond servant at the time, um, it, some things that were different, it wasn't racially based like, like we have in our history. In fact, sometimes the well-educated um, were, were bond servants for a variety of reasons. Bond servants were often very well taken care of. In fact, in the good half of, of, of how this was viewed, they became part of the family. And it was often a financial arrangement, um, much like a work arrangement. Um, bond servants or, or slaves in this setting could be anything from ships, oarsmen. They could be craftsmen. They could be teachers. Um, many, many servants served within Roman households in various duties. Some rose to managerial positions remember Joseph? Joseph rose to managerial positions. Actually, wherever he was, he worked in such a way that that they they made him the manager. They put him in charge. They trusted him. But yet that was still a bond servant. And so really you had two halves. It could be voluntary due to debt or even learning. If you were an apprentice for a, for a trade, you were considered a bond servant or a slave in that. Now that, that's part of the good side. That's okay. Because people chose to do that. Hey, I want to learn to work on chariots. And so they would become a bond servant as an apprentice to that particular industry. Um, domestic workers were almost always included in this class. But then also you could be forced to work. Um, it could be that you had debt that you couldn't pay off. And so the system of government would force you to be a bond servant. And that's where sometimes people took advantage of it a little bit more. Um, punishment for a crime, sometimes you were forced to be a bondservant. And, and, and if you were born to a mother who was a bondservant or a slave, you yourself was one. So there, there's, it's just a, a broad category of tasks. And so we're not condoning it, but we're saying, how do we live for Christ in this? Because when it was good, it was good. You could own property. You, you were taken care of. You received salary. Um, and security. And so that side of things is where I want to go this morning and tying it into work. Because at work, we have agreed to work for somebody, right? We have agreed to come under them, under their leadership, and follow what they're saying to do. They have agreed to pay us a paycheck, hopefully. And, and they have agreed. So that there is this agreement, and there is a structure and arrangement. And Paul here is going to say, use that for the kingdom. And so this morning, I want to look at five gospel showing habits for workers, five gospel showing habits for workers. And again, I pray, you know, every one of these five, but let God's word remind us, let God's word remind us before we go to work tomorrow or Tuesday of how we should be and our purpose for doing these things to show the gospel. Employees are to be faithful stewards showing the gospel through their work. Verse 9, the first one we see is bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. And point number one is we're to respect and come under our boss's leadership. When we are employees, we're to respect and come under our boss's leadership. The word for be submissive to is, or is to be subject to. It is a stronger word than the, the corresponding passages in Ephesians and Colossians. They say, obey your boss or obey your master. This is a stronger word that says, be submissive to, have an attitude that comes under them. Same word, interestingly enough, that's used for wives with their husbands to come under their husband's leadership and to come and, and to do that with an attitude that is, is well-pleasing. One, one commentary defined this as arranging one's gifts under the purposes of those with proper authority. Let me repeat that. Arranging one's gifts, your skills, your abilities, under the purposes of those with proper authority. And so the first thing Paul reminds us of, the Holy Spirit through Paul, is respect your boss's leadership. Do what they ask. Now this sounds really simple. But think even of the word respect as opposed to just simple obedience. Your boss knows whether you respect them or not. Your boss knows whether you are grudgingly doing these things or whether you truly are coming under their leadership. Which one do you think is the better testimony? Because that's the question we're going to ask on every one of these things. What's the better testimony? Not what can make my life at work better. Not what can earn me more money. But the real question is, what is the better testimony? And so Paul starts with respect, submissiveness, coming under their leadership. He adds in everything. Now the caveat here is we compare Scripture with Scripture. We know that in everything has an exclusion of when you're asked to sin. And we talked about this in our government class and and the Christian in government when we are asked to sin, we would rather obey God than man. And we went through all kinds of passages about that. But in everything else, where we're not asked to compromise our morals and we're not asked to sin, we're to do what they ask. And that is a huge statement. Now, now looking through these things and some of the issues they were having at Crete, it looks as if some of those false teachers that Pastor Andrew talked about in chapter 1, it looks as if some of them were stirring things up. Stirring the, the younger wives up to, to not respect their husbands. Stirring the workers up to not respect their bosses. We can see that, right? That's individualism. That's saying, I am best. I know, best. nobody's going to tell me what to do. That is not from God. That's from the false teachers. And so here, it, it, there, he's countering that at the workplace. And this particular one, respect and come under your, your boss's leadership or the idea of being submissive, this is the summary of the whole section. The next four instructions really say how to do that. They 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 detail a little bit about what this looks like. But this is the, the big picture. How do we come under their leadership? Then we get to point number two, and we, we begin to break this down a little bit more. The next thing he says is they are to be well-pleasing. There to be well pleasing. I've worded that point. Work to please your boss and coworkers. I could have added not yourself. Work to please your boss and coworkers. The word there be well pleasing literally means try to please them. Try to please them. Try to make them satisfied, which I thought was an interesting take on what it means to please someone. You know That's why I asked at the beginning, what makes a good employee? If you were a boss, what makes a good employee? That list are th- is things that would please your boss. Those are, are, are pleasing things. Being on time, not playing solitary eight hours a day or on your phone eight hours a day or in the bathroom or whatever, but to, to do those things that satisfies your boss. If I had to break it down, I would say this means do an excellent job first with a good attitude second. Those those two things paired. Do an excellent job with a good attitude. Don't just do the minimal to get a paycheck. It's easy, right? I clock in. I do as little as possible because if I do more, I'm going to get flack and I'm going to be asked to do more. And so I'm just going to put my head down and I'm going to do my stuff and go home. And that's the paycheck mentality. But it's not a Christian mentality. A godly mentality says I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do an excellent job. I am going to please my boss. Because in doing so, I please the creator of the universe. And so we don't just work enough to please ourselves. We don't just work enough to not be bothered. But really, as you think through this one, do we take pride in our work? Do we take pride in our work? My prayer is that at a company, the the workers that are highest valued that have the highest value, the ones that are looked up to are the believers. Because as believers, we should be putting in a hundred percent of effort. We should be doing excellent work, double checking our work. We should be giving it the effort that we would give Jesus Christ. Because we're not doing it for them, we're doing it for Jesus. And so how are we well pleasing? We do an excellent job. Again, this isn't this isn't rocket science. You've heard all this. We know this. It's a good reminder as you go to work tomorrow. Second part of that, well-pleasing, is with a good attitude. Attitude matters to please someone. And again, I've already mentioned this. It's beyond just obedience, but this deals with attitude. Having a positive, winsome attitude, not just passive. Having positive actions that take initiative, not just passive. And this doesn't apply just to the boss, but to your coworkers. The annoying guy in the next cubicle? Yeah, be well-pleasing to him too or her. The one that sings the whole day and you can't even figure out what tune or what key or what notes. Be pleasing. Find ways to help them. Find ways to be uh, the type of person that is easy to work with. The type of person with a good, friendly attitude. All of that's in that, that command to, to be well-pleasing. And so we know we're to, to come under our boss's leadership, and then we're to work to please our boss, which is the attitude in which we do this. Please our coworkers, the kind of environment we make. And then we get to the negative half of this, this pair. Don't be argumentative not argumentative it says at the end of nine and so by the, the point the way i word it is don't be argumentative or a griping pain in the neck That's what i think of when i think of someone that's argumentative so this is someone that isn't causing problems with their words they're not nitpicking they're not contradicting or trying to prove their boss wrong or others the, the greek for this word literally means don't talk back Now, now I didn't use that phrasing because I think of three-year-olds when I say don't talk back. (laughs) Right? But the word is saying don't act like a three-year-old with your boss. Don't talk back. Now, this isn't saying you can't have ideas and there can't be discussion and give and take. But I think we all know when someone's talking back versus discussing. Again, it's not rocket science. We know this. And it says don't talk back to your boss. And probably the idea there is is not being an opposing force to them, and not showing them up. You know, we can see this often when someone is asked to do something they don't like. We are not good at hiding it when we don't want to do something, right? The um, someone asks you to do something, under the breath, sarcasm comes out, the griping comes out to others, the student. At high school or college or junior high, we have students here. When your teacher asks you to do something that you don't want to do, now chances are you're smart enough not to throw that in their face. If you're not, learn that lesson soon. Um, but usually we we look to our friends like this is so stupid. I can't believe we're having to do this. We will never use this again in our lives. Never. <laughs> Algebra two. What's the purpose? Sorry, our math our math people. <laughs> One of my kids is in Algebra 2. I'm like, oh no, you're going to use this every day. <laughs> not argumentative says we don't complain about that. We don't gripe about that. We don't, not even to other people, not just to the teacher, but not to other people the boss comes out and asks his secretary to write a 10-page letter to someone. Don't tell me there's not some griping that often happens after the boss leaves. You know, the engineer who's asked to redo all the figures that they've already done three times and are sure are correct. We can gripe. We can get upset. But this says don't be argumentative. Don't be that person. Yes, we don't want to do what we don't want to do. But that's where self-control and that's where the Holy Spirit lets us be a different kind of employee. See, this is you might be in a case where you know more than your boss about the task you're being asked to do. I'll go as far as to say you probably are in the case where you know more about the, the task than your boss does because they're looking at a bigger picture. You're on the line. You're on the front lines. That does not mean we rub it in. That does not mean we get cocky. That does not mean we get argumentative and bitter towards them. Rather, we've already seen, come under their leadership, work to please them, and the other side of it is stop talking back. In your mind, in your words, everywhere. Don't work with a reluctant and obstinate attitude. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, Is our relationships at work characterized by aggravation intention or are they characterized with just a a great place to work because you often control the tone of that an example i've used before of of a little boy which which i think is so appropriate here Um, parents were trying to tell him to sit down and sit down and sit down and i know those of you with little ones never never have to do that 20 times in an hour And the the little boy is resisting it and finally sits down. And he says to his parents, and he hasn't learned that part yet, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Don't be that boy at work. It's not about whether you like the task. It's not about whether you know how to do the task better. It's not even about whether this is the right task for them to ask you to do. It's about how does this reflect on the gospel? That's everything. It's everything here. So then we get to verse 10, and he's talked about pleasing your boss. He's talked about not being a gripe, griping pain in the neck. And now in verse 10, he says, don't take what isn't yours. Not pilfering. I love that word. Not pilfering. And the idea of pilfering is skimming off the top, embezzling, diverting things to yourself that are not intended for you. And, and we think stuff and we think money, but I urge you as we see not pilfering to think broader than that. What are ways we take what isn't ours at work? See, in their setting, it would be, it would be so easy for a servant to just skim some things off the top. For someone that's, that's trusted with a task. Again, think back to Joseph in the Old Testament. It would have been easy for him to take what isn't his. And in fact, he was tested that with that with Potiphar's wife. And he could have taken what isn't his. And that didn't deal with money. It dealt with ethics and morality. And he chose the course of integrity. It looks as if this was the issue with, with Onesimus and Philemon. If you read the, the postcard to Philemon, Onesimus, his slave, had, had gone away and Paul had become a Christian. And Paul's trying to restore that relationship. And looking at the text, it looks like he had skimmed some money off the top or some stuff off the top. So he was called to make it right. And Paul said, I'll pay for it too. But not pilfering. This could be a a variety of things, of taking what isn't ours. But instead, it's a call to be honest, to work with integrity. One article I was reading about theft in the workplace said, today the first suspect in theft, electronically or physically, in a company is always the employees. Interesting. And, and it can be little. It can be, it can be huge. I mean, part of this is don't steal. Don't steal anything. Don't steal office supplies. Okay, wait, wait, no, no. We don't say we're stealing. We are taking this home for our own purposes because we deserve to have it. No, don't steal anything. Pins, paper, stuff, anything that belongs to the business, anything your boss would not want you to take home or that you're afraid they would find out you take home. Don't. Let's be above reproach, completely above reproach. But also this is the aspect of give 100%. And you guys mentioned it with time and and things that drain our time. We can steal time from our boss by doing things other than our job 100% of the time. It's stealing. It's it's. It's getting them to pay us for time that we aren't putting in. That is stealing. And so that falls under this command to not pilfer. You know sometimes at the workplace, I see people take authority that isn't theirs, start telling coworkers what to do and trying to, to and they think they're the boss sometimes. That's stealing authority. And so not pilfering is more than just a pen or a piece of paper or a ream of paper, although that all applies. It's it's taking anything that doesn't belong to us. And so that's why the point is, don't take what isn't yours. And yeah, I have seen this justified. Well, they know it to me. I've earned it. I haven't gotten a bonus in three years. This ream of paper, it's my bonus. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. I'll give you a ream of paper if that makes you feel better. I've seen pastors do this. Pastors often work long hours and and without the pay that you would get in the industry. And I've seen pastors over time start to say, well, you know, I take a little bit here. I take a little bit there. It's because they, they really can't pay me, so I, I've earned it. And we justify sin. And we justify pilfering. This might apply to even stealing other things. I, I, again, when I was in business... I remember a phone call that I got from a friend of mine and um, it was interesting. He worked at E V free Fullerton and we co taught classes at Biola. Um, and he called me up one day because our company was doing some work for them, some computer work for them, and he said, You know, I just wanted to tell you about what your employee did today. I uh oh. He goes, he he gave me your quote for the job, he outlined your quote for the job, and then after he was done, he said, you know what? I know that's what my my boss says, but I'm starting my own business on the side and I can do this cheaper for you. That was sin. That was stealing. The gentleman lost his job the next day. He didn't know that I have friends with most of our clients. (laughs) And these are the kinds of things as believers ought not to be. Now in that case, that gentleman wasn't a believer. And so I I didn't come down on him for not living as Christianity. It wasn't there. We did come down on him for stealing customers, for acting in an unethical, immoral fashion. But as believers, we are called to a higher standard. It isn't about if I feel like I haven't been given my due. It isn't about if I feel like I've earned more. It's about what does this do for the gospel? Yeah, I'm repeating the same thing on every point. Because we need to get it. We need to get the deeper reason for these things. Verse 10 goes on to say, after not pilfering, but showing all good faith. And this is the other side of not pilfering. This is the positive side. Be deserving of trust. Be deserving of trust in your attitude, responsibility, and your work, or your work product. And so showing all good faith, that word for faith means faith or trust. It's the idea of being fully trusted, that that someone believes in you. If your boss believes in you, he can trust you, and, and he is coming alongside and giving you responsibilities, don't violate that, is this command. Act in a way that shows all good faith. That you are able to be trusted. This means working hard. It means working to help the company. It means what we've already talked about, doing your work with excellence. You know, maybe a question on this one is, if others were to look at the job you do for the next two weeks, would they recommend you to someone else? You know, if they, and you don't know it, so you're not putting on a show the next two weeks, if they just, had a secret camera in your cubicle or whatever your work, and they could see what you do for the next two weeks, would they recommend you? That's what this command is. Show all good faith. Be trustworthy. Be deserving of that trust. It's not a promise that your boss will, will automatically trust you if you act this way. That's not your domain. That's not your control. Leave that up to God. This says act in a way deserving of that trust and let God work it out. Work hard, work excellent, work dependable. Five things that God gives to to the worker. And and he says, come under the leadership of those that are over you. He says, be a joy, work for their pleasure, be well-pleasing. Don't be argumentative. Don't take what isn't yours. Be deserving of trust. Now, all of these things require a different heart than just frustrated obedience and silence. I'm just going to grit my teeth and do what they say. It requires a different attitude that can only come from God. And if you're struggling with attitude at work, if you're struggling with bitterness towards a boss, with bitterness towards coworkers, first step, start praying for them every day. Start praying for them. pray that God's... Um, work will be, that they will see God's work, that God's blessing will be on them. Pray for their lives outside of work because we don't know what's going on in everyone's lives outside of work. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel with them, to build relationships, to help them. And that begins to change our attitude to the type of worker that verses 9 and 10 describe. So why do all these things? What's the bigger picture? And I've already said it five times, but the bigger picture is to do everything in a way that makes the gospel more attractive. That's our purpose, is to share the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to share what we're going to celebrate next week, that we're all sinners, but Jesus came and lived a perfect life and sacrificed himself on the cross in our place to take the penalty for our sin. And then he rose again on the third day and conquered sin and conquered death and proved that we have a hope of eternal life. This is good news. This is great news. And that even applies to work. Live in a way where that great news is not disparaged. Work in a way where people want to hear what's different. And we see that. And last week I didn't get to... to all of the different times in in even last week's text where it says the same thing, because I knew we were getting there this week, but three times in these 10 verses, he says the same things. Look at the end of verse 5. As he's just talked about the young ladies and some of the things they need to, to be praying about and be being taught, at the end of that, that the Word of God may not be reviled. For the young ladies, it's not about having a happy home. It's about not disparaging the gospel. Again, it's a bigger picture than us. It's not about me. It's about Him. It's about the good news. And so we see even in 5B that no one will malign the Word of God or revile the Word of God. Don't live in a way that's discrediting the Word of God. And that's why the older women are to teach the younger women how to live. Not just to pass on my my wonderful words of wisdom... But to be about the gospel. And then he comes to verse eight, where he's just talked to young men and said, grow up and be self-controlled. And then to Timothy, or to Titus, he gives some examples of that, that he's to show, be an example in good works, to be an example in his teaching, to show integrity and dignity, all aspects of, of, um, self-control and sound speech. That cannot be condemned at the end of eight so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And the idea, again, is to not discredit the gospel, to not discredit Christianity by giving cause for accusation. And so to the young men, why be self-controlled? It's, it's not just so you are not in, in, in your parents' basement at 30 playing video games. It, it's, it's about the gospel and how we represent the gospel. And again, here the end of ten, but showing not pilfering, showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And the idea here is, as an employee, as a worker, as a bond servant, in this case, we are to adorn the gospel. And, and that's that's not a word we use a lot in everyday language. I'm adorning today. No, I, I don't know, it, but it literally means to make it attractive. To make something appealing. Um the word was often used even in jewelry, and I don't know if you, you've bought jewelry, but sometimes they'll take this black velvet thing and they'll set out whatever jewelry is on it because the black actually accentuates the diamond or the gold. It 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 really makes it pop, right? And that's the, the word that's used is that kind of thing where we're adorning the jewelry, we're we're making it pop, we're making it appealing. And Paul says, as workers, that's your job for the gospel. That's why you do these five things. Even if it's above and beyond and we hate work, we do these things because we are to make the gospel attractive. Whether in a hard situation, bondservants and slaves could be in very difficult situations, much harder than our workplaces. They were still called to do this. And if they were called to do this in good and bad Bond servant situations, how much more can we in work situations? What if we, what if we weren't like this? What if we were lousy employees? And our bosses know we're believers. Our coworkers know we're believers. Because no coworker likes to pick up the slack of someone that's lazy either. It damages the gospel all around. The bigger implication here for today's text is that God has you at your job for more than income. He has you at your job for more than just filling eight to 10 hours a day. He has you there on purpose for the gospel. And that's cool. And that gives meaning of going to work. That gives importance of going to work. He has you where you're at for the gospel. What if you were at your job for no other reason than for your boss to become a believer? Would that be enough? I hope so. I hope so. And so this is beginning to see our work as worship, our work as a way to please God, our work having importance beyond providing for my family. Now, providing for your families is wonderful. It's instructed in Scripture. But there's so much more that God wants to do in the workplace. First Timothy 6, a parallel passage that I just want to read as we, as we draw to a close. First Timothy 6, 1 and 2 says, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. Start to hear the same lessons, right? It's repeated. Um, so we would know this. Regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. And we have the same so that, we have the same purpose, not to revile the name of God, the reputation of God, the teaching about God. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they're brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. May we be the type of employee that attracts others to Christ. Rather than discredits the gospel. You know, all of these things that we've talked about last week and this week, the older men, older women, younger women, younger men, employees, all of these things, if they do what's in this passage, if we do what's in this passage, these things are rare. The kind of older men and women that live this way and then pass on through discipling relationships are rare. The younger women and men who show that they are mature and adults and grabbing the responsibilities God has given them, that's rare in this culture. The kind of employee that acts like this is rare in this culture. And the awesome things about it being rare is that when we do it, we stand out for the gospel. It's, it's the dark room with a single candle. That single candle stands out. And so take advantage of these opportunities. This is what sound doctrine looks like, Paul says, from verse 1. This is what it looks like to have a right thinking about God. It means we have a right living for God. May we be that kind of people. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the challenge of Your Word, Lord. And... And I know that when we get into workplace, family and workplace, we are meddling with, with everyday life. But Lord, let your Holy Spirit meddle with our lives. Step on our toes, challenge us. Lord, this week, I pray we would have a commitment to being the kind of employees, and this week and beyond, a commitment to being the kind of employees that shine well for you, Lord God. That don't distract from the Word, And don't distract from the gospel. Lord, give us renewed purpose for why we go to work. The nine to five, the the drudgery of it, that it can feel like. Give us renewed purpose to use this for the kingdom, God, and to be different. Thank you for your word in your name. Amen. Amen.